1: And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, emergency response, resilience, and anything that can be related to those topics. A couple of announcements. Uh, I will be at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, May 29th to 30th. Uh, please feel free to uh, stop by if you're attending. You know, say hi, and maybe we'll uh, get some of your comments on the show. Who knows? If there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free to send me an email. Go to the Voice America page for the show. There is a button underneath the graphic that says uh, send, me a, send the host an email or something like that. Um, I do get all the emails and I do respond to everything, and we'll see about getting you on the show to talk about your topic or finding someone who wants to talk about uh, that topic and get them on the show. Today's show is brought to us by the people at Stone Road, Inc. and their application, boastassessment.com. That helps you uh, really uh, self-manage your program assessment. You can monitor your your progress in uh, various areas like BIAs and risk assessments, resources and testing. Uh, So check it out. That's boastassessment.com. And if uh, you'd like to talk about any of your products or services, uh, please feel free to get in touch with me. We do have uh, you know sponsorship and advertising uh, 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 opportunities available for you. And uh, my last announcement is, uh, I hope it's a little early yet, but I'm hoping to attend the next Teams conference, the International Emergency Management Society in Seoul, Korea, uh, in November this year. And for long-time listeners, you'll know that for a while there, I was uh, promoting the Teams conference in Manila, which uh, occurred in November in 2018, and met a lot of great people there, Um, some new contacts, and some learned a lot of new information. And today's guest is actually one of the presenters uh, at that Teams conference. He presented on a topic called a new approach to disaster education. Um, Joining us all the way from Australia, I'd like to welcome to the show Mr. Neil Dufty. Neil, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, Great to be with you. Thanks, Alex.
1: How is uh, the weather down there? Are you still scorching hot?
2: Yeah look uh, we've had uh, uh heat waves uh wildfires and uh up in the north of the country uh we've had some uh some really severe floods uh to a city called Townsville so uh there's uh, that's up near the great barrier reef uh, to the north of uh, uh, north of the country uh but yeah we're really experiencing climate change here um uh, there's a lot of research around the world showing that uh australia's um uh, you know the kind of the litmus test for uh, for climate change, and uh, we're certainly experiencing it at the moment. In fact, it was the um, hottest January on record across Australia, and wow. of course that uh, that adds to the world's fourth hottest uh, uh, January uh, on record. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we certainly made up for those uh, very cold times that. Uh, yeah, you know, North America is uh, is having, and parts of uh, Europe.
1: Uh, yes, actually, right now we just finished uh, minus forty degrees plus Celsius where I am, and today, the last two days, we've had nothing but freezing rain and freezing drizzle. So we've gone, you know, we're we're literally at opposite ends here of the spectrum with weather between our two areas.
2: <laughs> uh, well, that's right. Uh, just to give you another fact, uh, there is a. Um, uh, just to talk about uh, uh, extreme temperatures, there is um, a place in uh, Australia, uh, in uh, in the state of Queensland, um, a fairly semi semi-arid area, but they've received uh, 40 days of over 40 degrees Celsius temperature, which um, you know converts up up around to 110 degrees Fahrenheit. So, uh, and some of those uh, temperatures are well over that 40 degree mark so it's it's getting up uh, around 120 to 125 degrees uh, fahrenheit quite regularly
1: oh I, I i couldn't handle that uh, i think that's a little <laughs> too hot for me <laughs> so let's jump into your presentation um well I, actually before we even jump into the presentation can you i know you just told us about some of the weather in australia and what you're experiencing uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself what you do and, you know, um, how you got uh, involved with the Teams conference?
2: Right. Well, my background um, actually is in um, earth science, and I've also got a degree in, um, in education. So for several years, I was a, uh, a, a geography and science teacher um, in a former life. Uh, but I also worked in uh, environmental education centres and part of our work in those centres, that's where we uh, actually took um, and worked with uh, school students um, and took them out in the field and, uh, and did a whole lot of environmental activities with them. Um, but that also included learning about um, you know, natural hazards, including uh, bushfire. It's called wildfire in most of uh, the rest of the world and also uh floods in particular so in these centres we we'd go out and uh, do field work uh to learn more about um these hazards and what you can do to uh you know prepare and uh you know mitigate uh those hazard impacts so i had that experience um and then um uh in um 2003, I started up um, with a company called Molino Stewart in uh, Australia, and we do a lot of uh, natural hazards work, so I kind of quite easily moved into that uh, type of work. And since then, uh, I've built up expertise, uh, particularly around uh, early warning systems um, particularly for floods but uh, also for wildfire and a range of other hazards um, expertise in uh, disaster education uh, communication and engagement which i believe we're going to talk about t- in a moment and uh, also i've done a lot of work uh, evaluating emergency management performance by emergency agencies across australia and uh, and elsewhere in the world so just recently we recently i've completed a um, work for the World Bank on um, uh, emergency uh, management in Australia. So so a whole uh, report on, um, you know, what's going on there and how it can be improved um, uh, right across Australia. So um, that's uh, pretty much it for me. But probably one other thing is that uh, to make it all real, I've actually uh, had my home flooded um Several years ago, there was a big flood on the outskirts of Sydney, uh, where we lived, and um, our house, um, as a two-storey house, was uh, flooded um, to the depths of about um, a 40, thirty, 30 centimetres uh, in the uh, in the basement on the lower floor. Um, but we were cut off. You know, from from moving out of that house, so we sheltered in place, as we say. Uh, but also, um, the business that I was running, which in fact was an environmental education centre for for the, for the uh, government, was flooded to the depth of a uh, one and a half metres. So uh, that's around about four foot. Um, and so that caused a lot of damage. So. Uh, I understand what it's like to be flooded. Um, I've fought um, and helped fight um, in uh, wildfires um, and had that experience, so I've worked for one of the agencies here in Australia actually doing uh, firefighting, and certainly I've experienced droughts and some of the other um, uh, hazards that we have here in Australia. So I think that keeps the research that I do and the advice that I give to our clients very real.
1: Uh, yeah, there, there's a difference between people who um, know uh, things through book smarts and those that have actually experienced what they're teaching and obviously you've experienced some of that.
2: That's right and, and also, um, uh, also to make it real that I've, I've gone into uh, several um, communities um, after a uh, Hazard event, um, many of which have been uh, disasters, and had to go in there and um, and interview those uh, those people uh, for a range of different research purposes to try and you know improve their resilience and uh, hopefully uh, improve um, and learn from uh, you know that event. So one example is, um, in fact, yesterday was the. Um, the uh, 10-year uh, anniversary of very severe fires in one of our states here called Victoria. Um, unfortunately, uh, about 170 people perished in that, uh, that fire and um, um, one of the communities that I, um, I went into, uh, in fact, uh, only had uh, 200 people and, um, you know, 11 of those uh, people um, sadly perished. Uh, and, of course, you know, Um, I mean, I still get a bit emotional uh, from that experience Mm -hmm. of even, uh, you know, doing those, um, of doing those interviews. So um, uh, the situation there was that uh, there really was no uh, warning. The the, um, the little community, which was uh, just only 40 kilometres from, um, uh, about 30 miles from um, the... City of Melbourne, which is four and a half million people, um, so it's just in the hills behind uh, Melbourne. Uh, this is when fires came right over the top of the um, of of the hills, and um, you know, it was just like a conflagration, you know, uh, just a catas- catastrophic event. And sadly, sadly, these people had no um, mobile or you know cell coverage, and um, only one way out, and, and pretty much no warning. So um, that makes that kind of uh, experience for me, uh, makes Mm -hmm. the whole uh, job of disaster management very real.
1: Yes, well, I'm glad you can share that experience because I I know in your presentation you gave a lot of great information. And, you know, I'm I'm sorry to hear, uh, you know, the loss that you experienced with this. And I think that listeners will appreciate what you have to say today. Yep. Thank you. So let's... Let's jump straight into your presentation, A New Approach uh, to Disaster Education. Um, What are the three levels of a good disaster education program?
2: Okay, look, before I answer that, I just might step back and just put disaster education in context in um, the disaster, if you like, um, management world. So around the world... um, Uh, most, in fact, all emergency agencies, I could say, um, and a lot of humanitarian organisations and a lot of other organisations that are involved in disaster risk reduction um, have some form of community education or Communications or engagement; those two terms are, you know, very three three terms are very similar, and in many cases, I just merged them together to call it ECE: education, communication, and engagement, because um, you know they do the same thing. So the main, the, the aim of of um, ECE, if you like, is uh, is to make obviously people safe, uh, so help people learn to be safe. Uh, secondly, to um, learn to minimise uh, losses um, from um, from uh, emergencies and disasters, and uh, thirdly, um, learn to become more resilient. So, learn to be, to, to uh, bounce back. And um, the target audiences, of course, are uh, you know individuals, um, communities, businesses, schools. Um, oh, A broad range and and of course it's most important to have um uh programs education programs for those that are very um that are most vulnerable so you know the older people in our community and the youth of course um those with disabilities um you know we notice um even that there are gender differences in vulnerability. So, you know, we should have uh, programs for both males and females, Um, all genders, actually. And, um, you know, so that's that's the real aim of it, those three goals. So what actually happens is across the world um, there's a... um, Sendai uh, Framework for Disaster Risk Reduction, uh, which was uh, set up in 2015, and, and in many cases it mentions and, and well, uh, disaster education as being uh, very important. And as I said, virtually all emergency agencies around the world, um, you know, do it. The problem is that um, not a lot of money. In the overall budget of these organisations is spent, uh, you know, doing this activity because, uh, obviously, most of the all these agencies are um, operational, and a lot of their money goes into you know, spent expenditure around you know, that those uh, response and recovery activities. So, in terms of preparedness, there's a lot less money spent anyway around the world. Um, there was just a, an article, by the way, I read um, from um, from the United States that said that um, in the State of the Union um, uh, address, uh, there was uh, virtually nothing uh, mentioned there uh, on um, preparedness and mitigation. So, you know, prior planning Thanks, yep. and, and uh, activities and uh, that's common, that's similar in australia uh, research here has shown that you know 97% of our disaster budget is spent um, in um, reco- in uh, response and recovery rather than uh, you know prevention and preparedness. so um, and what i'm saying is disaster education is a is a small part of that preparedness budget which is as I said, disproportionate to the overall mm-hmm. expenditure across the disaster cycle. So, um, yeah, look, it's it's something that goes on. Um, there are people that are employed to do these things, but the budget is generally fairly small compared to the overall um, budget. But we know certainly from a lot, a lot of um, analysis, including economic analysis that it gains very high, um, you know, cost-benefit ratios. So, um, you know, we're getting up into the order of 20 to 1 benefit to cost ratio compared to a lot of, um, you know, structural mitigation activities like building levees and dikes and those type of things uh, which don't, you know, are lucky to, to kind of break even in the ratio. Mm-hmm. So we know that it's important. Um, uh, we know that it's got clear goals. Uh, lots of agencies are doing it around the world, um, but there's not a lot of, if you like, research base behind it. People are doing it rather than, and and not even evaluated in many, many cases. Rather than, um, you know, having. A research base behind it. So, in the in the mm-hmm. paper that I presented at the team's uh, conference, what I was trying to do is uh, present a little bit of that um, of that research. I'm currently, writing a book on disaster education, communication, engagement uh, for Wiley, and hopefully, it'll be um, published later this year. Uh, so, it'll have a lot more detail. So, what we're going to go through is just a little, um, if you like, summary. Of uh, what will be in the book, and uh, the there's a lot more research behind it all.
1: Well, so, rate, thank you, and so I've actually got a question questions. for you. Oh, sorry, Hello? I got a question for you on the uh, the budget okay. and the funding stuff. Yeah, um, sure. But we've actually come to the end of our first segment already. So hold your thought, and we'll be right back. We're talking with Neil Duffy uh, from Australia today, and we'll be right back.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: There are many people who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild in Your Dog with expert, author, and nationally recognized dog trainer, Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's info at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected.
1: And welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with Neil Dufty about disaster education. Um, Neil, at the end of our first segment, you were talking about um, the spending Uh, it's not really there for education. You know, we spend a lot more money on response and, um, you know, recovery efforts. What's your thoughts on that? Why don't we spend, you know, money on education up front?
2: Right. Well, uh, as I said, firstly, I think uh, there's a disproportionate amount of expenditure uh, between uh, those activities uh, before uh, a disaster hits uh compared to as you just said there uh, you know when it hits and then and then the recovery and reconstruction after so obviously it's a part of that of that uh, that issue uh but then within the money that's spent for um, prevention and preparedness um, a lot of the money uh agencies spend um You know, go to uh, what they see as gearing up for an operation that is for the response activity, and and, um, the uh, amount of uh, detail put to um, you know the education um, is fairly fairly small. Um, Also, that one of the other problems is that there is uh, there there are not a lot of um, people that are trained or have, if you like, education um, backgrounds or even qualifications that are in the emergency management world. So um, there are only a few books or guidebooks on um, and evidence-based guidebooks on this subject, and uh, there's not a lot of, you know, incredible lot of research compared to the other fields as well. And... There's not a lot of people that um, that come in from, you know, an evidence-based background, that is, an education background. They move into this world, you know, um, from maybe being a volunteer or maybe being in some other part of the agency, um, possibly being a journalist and coming into the media centre and then having to do education as well. So that's part of the, if you like, the malaise that um, people... Um, are not highly trained in this in this world, and even the training courses that are pro- provided by emergency agencies are not necessarily well synced to um, evidence. So, to you know, learning theory and those type of things, uh, the psychological and sociological sides behind it. So. That's a bit of the problem. That um, you know the the, uh, the training for these people and uh, even their experience. Uh, uh, you know they do a great job. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but um, you know I believe that there's a need to improve the, um, if you like, the um, training and professional development behind um, a lot of the staff that are in the in. Um, education, communications and engagement uh, fields. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think they'd probably agree with that. You know, they need uh, to to bolster their skill sets.
1: Okay. Well, uh, thanks for the answer, because I was curious, um, you know, uh, multiple people have now started to say the same thing. So I just wanted your opinion on that. <laughs> so um, and now I know I cut you off at the end of the last segment, because I know you wanted to get into uh, all the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of, um, you know, what you were talking about. So um, why don't we jump back to where we, we were and uh, you know, talk about, um, you know, a good education program? You know, what, what does it kind of contain? Because I, if I understand well, correctly from your presentation, there were multiple levels and different facets, you know, and so much around it.
2: Yeah. Look. Um, firstly, uh, I think the one of the the problems um, in a lot of the in a lot of the education programs uh, that are released by um, emergency agencies around the world is that they're, they're very campaign based based, and that is, you know, uh, they are a top down approach that. Uh, You know, views the community as, if you like, a homogenous group. And as we know, uh, communities are are diverse in their, you know, across race, um, you know, religion, um, age, um, gender, they have their vulnerabilities, Mm -hmm. um, all of those things. So to foist, um, uh, you know, a campaign, if you like, Disaster education campaign, for example, around preparedness to everybody, um, doesn't, Mm -hmm. we found doesn't work. And I think if, if you, even if you think through intuitively, um, it wouldn't work anyway because it's not going to fit and motivate all people to, for example, become more prepared prior to, you know, uh, an emergency or disaster. Um, so, um, the, we know that the um, a better approach is to design uh, programs that are that uh, relate to different groups of people, different communities, and you know that tailored well to um, to those uh, you know those different groups. So. For example, if we're looking at the business community, something dear to your heart. Uh, obviously, we would um, support, uh, you know, business continuity management and um, and uh, work help people learn about, you know, business continuity business continuity planning. Um, if we were in a school, um, we would look at the uh, curriculum that's um, you know the appropriate curriculum. Um, and those Mm -hmm. opportunities, and uh, we would try and tie, uh, you know, if you look at preparedness education into um, those uh, curriculum opportunities and we write uh, units of of teaching, teaching learning around that particular uh, group. For the broader population, we have to look at all of the the different... um, uh, if you like nuances and the fabric across that, that society and try and cover off those things um, we also should be looking at the psychologies of, of why people prepare and why they don't um, the sociology which shows that people um, work together and they, they carry out social learning uh, we know also that uh, people um, prepare better when they've uh, experienced a disaster. Now we don't want to do you know, we don't want that to happen to people. So we look at different ways in which we can bring, if you like, that experience to life. So, you know, one way of doing that, for example, is, is using virtual reality. Um, we also know the importance of engagements. Uh, so social media become becomes very important in that process. So Taking that all on board, um, we need to tailor uh, disaster education to the learners. Um, you know, that's just a common common um, uh, principle in any education program. And to do that, um, obviously we've got um, to understand three three elements. Um, one is the the. Pr- principles of effective disaster education so you know some of the things that i just spoke about are those type of things Um, but also that we should not just appeal to you know people's um uh cognitive or, or uh thinking skills but appeal to also their um uh you know their emotions because we know that that's that's important and also their social learning as well so how they work with other people the second um Element is that we look at, um, you know, the the content and methods that we can use to develop those programs, and um, you know, and that could be right across the disaster management cycle, which is uh, um, preparedness and mitigation. Uh, sorry, um, prevention or mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. So there should be uh, obviously. Education programs right across all those, um, all across all those areas, uh, and um, and lastly, um, obviously, we should have some filters there to make sure that we link in with emergency management activities that are going on in those communities. Um, that we link in with the social networks and vulnerabilities of those communities and appreciate those and understand them and also that we work with um, and tailor our programs to specific learners. So there's a fair bit of activity involved in this, but one of the main ideas behind it is that we should work together with those communities and, um, you know, uh, appreciate the knowledge and uh, experience of those communities around disasters. So it should be a, uh, you know, a working together situation instead of, um, you know, a telling Mm-hmm. Um, those communities what to do. So
1: putting it there into a- um, kind of business or project management terms, you really need to understand your stakeholders and the various groups that are involved and then each one, their message has to be tailored to their specific needs. Right. that's
2: that's exactly that's exactly right that's the that's the approach I mean it's uh, common sense in project management and in education you always uh, tailor um, your education programs uh, to the learners um, and uh, also make sure that you know I encourage those learners to be part of that that process, not only <laughs> the design of the education program, but the implementation, so learning together, um, and uh, and also the evaluation, uh, which is certainly a uh, part of um, disaster education, which is uh, is missing and which is poor across the world. Uh, we certainly need to, to uh, be able to um, evaluate and report on. How these programs have gone, so that others can learn about it and they can be improved over time. So, I always say that an important part of any education disaster education program is an evaluation plan. And in fact, maybe that's the very first part of the thinking behind um, you know these programs.
1: Well, that's going to be a bit of a challenge for you because um, even with myself, you know, when I'm doing. Uh, some sort of an update to executives or any kind of management, you've got people at the table, they're one group, one group of stakeholders, but half of them prefer, you know, uh, paragraphs and documents, while the other half prefer, prefer, um, you know, pictorial, you know, and pictures and graphs and things like that. So it's got to be a challenge, you know, with one within the same group, Right.
2: Yeah, look, it it certainly can be a challenge within the same group because people want to learn in different in different ways. But we certainly have got a lot of evidence behind, um, uh, you know, the work that we're doing. As I said, uh, psychological evidence, uh, sociological evidence, and also there's a lot of uh, what we call learning theory, which shows us how people learn, you know, in different uh, situations and at different ages. So. We've got lots of background. So the process is that it really should be, um, a no- I suppose, a, a negotiation, if you like, between the, learning- the learners and, I suppose, the, the expert um, educators. And that's also why I think, you know, we should be trying to upskill uh, disaster education people so they can uh, increase that expertise to be able to give the advice to, um, you know, the at-risk communities to improve their, you know, the learning um, processes.
1: So, so based on what you just said uh, now and your comments a, a moment ago about evaluation, does that mean you kind of need to continually refine your your uh, education uh, process or, or uh, mm. tools and you know the methods that you do it because you may find that what worked at one point with the advent of something else that's been invented you know like social media suddenly the old way doesn't work anymore and you have to refine your methods do you find that you you need to keep that at the in the back of your mind always
2: absolutely and that's the exciting thing about it alex you you um, you've got to continually learn and uh, it's all about lifelong learning um, it doesn't matter what field you're in that should really be the, um, the maximum if you like uh, we should be adaptive in that learning process and um, you know that's a whole part of the journey so the ability for uh, emergency agencies and uh, if you like researchers um, consultants like myself, and at-risk communities to work together to learn, very important. So to give an example of what you just spoke about, which I believe is very true, um, you know, I do a lot of work around uh, emergency manage, uh, around emergency warning and early warning and Mm -hmm. design programs uh, or early warning systems for a lot of communities uh, in Australia. So, with the advent of social media, a lot of people actually said, oh, we've got to have social media in there, you know, so I'm going back, you know, now it's almost, uh, you know, seven or eight years, probably 10 years, because Facebook started in 2006 and Twitter in 2000, sorry, Facebook in I think it was 2004 and I think Twitter was 2006. So, you know, we're only talking about, if, you know, Ten to twelve years ago, for the mm-hmm. uh, the advent of of this of the commonly used uh, social media, so um, yeah, people you know, emergency agencies, and I even went to a forum here in Australia about about it, and, and in fact, there was one held by teams, I think around about two thousand and twelve, um, around that was in Berlin around social media and emergency management, and um, it was seen as being. Um, you know, you had to get into social media and uh, and the other ways. You know, using um, newspapers, radio, etc., to do your warnings, door knocking, uh, community meetings, all those type of approaches. Uh, you know, sp- seem to fall by the way a little bit. But uh, over time, we've learnt uh, from uh, a fair bit of evaluation around early warning systems that we have to have multi-source approaches and we have mm-hmm. to just uh, put the the new technologies where they should be um, and obviously with social media there's the um, the good the bad and the ugly yeah. you know, the good is that <laughs> It, it it enables a lot of um, uh, you know those interactions. It enables those uh, you know, emotions to, to come out. Um, but there is a lot of uh, fake news and misrepresentation of information across that across that field, um, as the bad, if you like, um, and um, and also the ugly. So uh, I think. Or, you know, agencies across the world, particularly in countries where, um, you know, social media is embraced, um, Mm -hmm. uh, have social media now entrenched within their warning system communication. So there's a good example of what you're talking about. You're absolutely right. It's an issue, but it's something that should be reviewed and then, uh, you know, uh, included if... If, if useful, and there's a lot of research showing that, uh, you know, social media and emergency management is, is a very important medium, if you like, for, uh, warning communication and also even in response and recovery times.
1: Well, it's interesting you, you talked that we just mentioned social media. Here in the province of Ontario, um, where I live, the government uh, a while ago uh, implemented a, um, a notification system which comes through all cell phones and media platforms now. So yep. that in case there is some sort of major uh, situation here um, in Ontario uh, affecting you know certain groups or, or anywhere… You're, you will get this message no matter what. And the funny thing is the day they announced they were going to test it and the first test went so-so, you know, there were obviously some bugs to to work out. The second test, um, you know, to educate us all what was going on. um, we were sitting in an office and suddenly everybody's cell phone started ringing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we knew, yeah. well, I think the results are much better this time. So we've come to the end of our uh, second segment. We're talking with Neil Dufty about disaster education, and we'll be right back.
3: stimulating talk gets those synapses in your
2: brain inspired really fast
3: all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts VoiceAmerica.com. all around the outermost rim of the shield he set the mighty stream of the river oceanus creating achilles shield in homer's the iliad book 18 rachel carson in the sea around us said all at last return to the sea
0: Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
3: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market news, <eka>? opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 472 5787 voiceamerica.com.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected.
1: And welcome back to the show. We're talking about disaster education with Neil Dufty. Uh, Neil, during our break, you were starting to talk about um, uh, some of the campaigns that uh, you were mentioning in uh, our earlier segments. Do you want to talk a little bit more on those?
2: Yeah, look, Alex. Um, I kind of made a comment in the last uh, segment that um, that uh, you know we need to tailor disaster education to uh, very much to the local um, at risk communities, and also even to uh, you know specific learners or at least learner learner groups. Um, but uh, I'm not saying that we should discard the uh, the overall campaign. So, look, around the world, there's some very uh, exciting uh, campaigns. Um, uh, so, for example, um, there's a preparedness month. I think it's uh, September in, in the States. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, if you go right around the world, you'll see a range of different uh, events and um, also um, preparing this uh, campaign. So, look, I've had a little bit of involvement in one uh, that actually originated from the United States, has been successful in uh, the United Kingdom, and it's called um, 30 Ways, 30 Days. And um, so the hashtag is 30 Days, 30 Ways. So this program... Um, is uh is just for the month of September and the idea is there's 30 days uh, there and um, there's 30 different preparedness uh ways that uh that link into that um and um, Emergency agencies, humanitarian organisations, put forward you know one of those days. So it might be uh, that you uh, prepare a, an emergency kit on one of the days, or uh, mm-hmm. you might um, you might it might be something to do with uh, you know pandemics or you know severe dis- diseases, and you might have a day of you know really washing your hands for for thirty seconds. So they're very simple behavioural activities um, that people can do and are quite broad-based, but they break down the whole idea of, if you like, an, an emergency plan that you might have in your um, in your home. And you do it for a specific month, but obviously the, mm-hmm. the aim is that the behaviours then extend uh, further on. So I'm looking at, you know, uh, transferring uh, that... Program and tailoring it for Australia, maybe even for specific groups in Australia, because um, you know, that's the aim of the program is that uh, what would work in the United States or even in parts of that might work in the UK and might work in Australia or other developed and developing countries. So there's an idea to, to have this, uh, you know, taken elsewhere. So this is a broad campaign, but it can be tailored still to communities mm-hmm. and it also the main component of it, other than having a base website is social media um, around that. So the idea of having that hashtag ongoing uh, conversations with people uh, engagement to try and encourage them to do those preparedness um, activities so that when a Hazard event occurs, um, like a flood or a fire, um, earthquake, tsunami, then people um, are prepared for the unexpected.
1: Well, I guess, it. you know, I like your 30 days, 30 ways example here. And I guess it, that campaign helps break things down into manageable pieces for someone like me. You know, if I see Hurricane Preparedness Week or, you know, Business Continuity Awareness Week or some of the others that are out there, I'm just one person, yeah, what am I going to do, you know, against a hurricane? But if you break it down into 30 little things, well, you know, one of them is get yourself a, a, a couple of liters of water and put them off to the side. Oh, well, that's easily yep. done. Perfect. And before you know it, you know, uh, with that 30 days, 30 ways, all of a sudden I've got, you know, my, my hurricane preparedness stuff done and it's more manageable to me that way.
2: That's, that's the, the, the aim of it. And, and the, you know, another one, if you're in, a, for example, if you're in an earthquake area, um, it might be that, you know, you practice the, uh, as they do in the, there's a very good campaign, which is a behavioural one. It's just a, a very simple drill called the Great Shakeout, uh, and that's used around the world in earthquake um, uh, zones. So, for example, uh, in, uh, you know, the west coast of uh, you know Canada and uh, and the states, Japan. Uh, you know right across into Indonesia and um, yeah, in, in all those earthquake belt, mm-hmm. the Ring of Fire areas. So um, you know people there learn how to uh, you know drop, roll, and hold. So the idea there, of course, is to to drop down roll under a, a desk or you know a table or something like that because that's your you know if you like your protection if the building starts to collapse and, and hold under there um, until the shaking it, you know uh, finishes so that's that's the the idea if you're in a building uh what to do so one of the activities uh for the 30 um Thirty waves, thirty days uh, could be that particular activity, but only you know it's not going to really work that well in Australia, where we have very few earthquakes. We're not on the edge of a tectonic plate, so right. uh, obviously here in Australia there would be a lot of other activities around heat wave, as, as we're experiencing, um, around uh, fire, around uh, you know flood, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera.
1: So we've only got uh, a few minutes left, believe it or not. Time really does fly on these things. Uh, do you have any? Uh, do you want to take two minutes and give us any final thoughts on disaster education?
2: Well, look, yeah, just probably the uh, the homes for those uh, listening, and um, is that um, you know we, we can all learn and and help each other around um, around uh, you know disasters. I think the most important thing is. I've talked a fair bit about you know what people as in individuals can do, but I think it's most important that we live in a community uh, that we look after our neighbours, we look after the older people in our community. Um, it's most important that you know we work we work together. Um, from the experiences that I've had of um, of disasters, and I've, as I said, I've been involved in just a few um, that approach is most important to learn together and work together and learn from, uh, uh, you know, any experiences that, that you might have. Um, so that would be, a you know, a take home, I suppose, is that, you know, we should not just be, um, you know, looking at our own, if you like, preparedness activities, but as part of that process, we should, you know... Be uh, looking after others um, and working with others to um, to build our um, resilience and uh, to build our um, you know experiences for uh, you know future disasters, which can happen at any time. And they don't have to be, as we know, uh, as um, as kind of uh, objective as um, as mm-hmm. a flood. Uh, they could be. Uh, you know, a heatwave experience, or it could be even, uh, you know, a severe um, electrical failure, a blackout. I mean, there's been numerous of those around the world, of course, you know, problems over a prolonged period of time. So it can be any type of um, change to your continuity, if you like, to use business mm-hmm. continuity terms. So that will be a, a take-home take um Uh, comment from me around uh, our general disaster education, Alex
1: Well it's interesting you mentioned the blackout, I went through the big blackout here on the east coast in North America of uh, the US and Canada and uh, you also mentioned caring for neighbours and I found during that experience we were all outside, we were all talking to neighbours, I I met people I didn't know before that had been living there for years and it was a fantastic experience it really was so, yes, with... but
2: the point there is that we shouldn't wait for a disaster like or experience like right. that to exactly. build those bonds. Uh, we should be trying to do it um, now prior to it, because it, as soon as if, if it was if it was a fast on, onset um, experience uh, like a mm-hmm. terrorist attack or something like that. You would have to act very, very quickly and, um, you know, make those bonds or look after those people. Or if it was, uh, you know, an earthquake, obviously you have to go looking for those people, you know. Uh, And it's very good to have those bonds uh, developed earlier. But I agree with you. um, They do happen after it. It's well known.
1: Yep. And on that note, we've come to the end of our show. Um, I'd like to thank Neil Dufty. We talked about education in disaster planning. Thank you very much, Neil, for your time. And in the meantime, everybody out there, stay prepared.
0: Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.